So Ezekiel chapter 36 from verse 16. Again the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanness in my sight. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they had filled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave this land, his land. I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I'll show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have prof- the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I'll gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, O house of Israel. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns and the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Once again, I will yield to the plea of the house of Israel to do this for them. I will make their people as numerous as sheep, as numerous as the flocks for offerings at Jerusalem and during her appointed feasts. So will the ruined cities be filled with flocks of people. They will know that I am the Lord. Thanks Nathan. Well, uh, 
I don't know whether you'll be glad or, or sad to know that this is the second last of our sermons going through the book of Ezekiel. There's still quite a number of chapters left but, uh, but next week we're going to do all the last few chapters uh, all in one go. But uh, I wonder how you felt as we've gone through uh, Ezekiel. I wonder, I wonder what you've thought as we've kind of attacked the book of Ezekiel. Perhaps you've been encouraged, perhaps you've been encouraged by, uh, by God's perseverance with his people. Perhaps you've been encouraged by God's determination to purify his sinful people. Maybe you've been convicted, uh, convicted of sin. Maybe you've uh, felt powerless. Maybe you've felt powerless to live for God, powerless to turn from sin, powerless to transform your life and to make yourself good. Maybe you've felt trapped. Maybe you've felt trapped in the inescapable prison of sin and idolatry and rebellion against God. Well, it's been a a relatively long trip through the book of Ezekiel uh, and there have been glimmers of hope along the way and I hope that uh, you've seen some of those glimmers of gospel hope as we've worked our way through the book of Ezekiel. But here in these last sections, those glimmers kind of burst forward into this amazing vision of God's great gospel plan for his people and for the world. And really in chapter 36 and 37 we get the great heart of God's determination and God's great gospel plan for the world. So if you feel convicted of sin as we've gone through Ezekiel, here is God's great gospel plan. And if you felt powerless and trapped as we've gone through the book of Ezekiel, here in these chapters is God's great gospel plan and the message of God's incredible power. So Nathan read for us chapter 36. I want to read a few verses from chapter 37 as well to get another angle, if you like, on what God is doing. So chapter 36 uses one kind of language and chapter 37 is kind of, it's a picture, it's a metaphor for God's great gospel plan. So chapter 37, and we'll read the first 14 verses. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the Spirit Uh, by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying there was a noise, a rattling sound and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, 
These bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Well, Ezekiel uh, sees in this uh, chapter a vision uh, of these dry bones sitting in this desert valley. The, uh, the bones are the people of God in exile. Verse 11, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. You might remember that uh, back in chapter 24, Nebuchadnezzar finally uh, besieged the city of Jerusalem uh, and Jerusalem was conquered and the people were, were taken off uh, into exile. They were, they were destroyed and taken away. And here are the people, God says, like dry bones in a desert valley with no hope uh, and no life. But in both these chapters, both in chapter 36 and in chapter 37, God promises that he's going to bring his people back to the land and to settle them there again. Uh, and yet God's plan to bring the people back to the, uh, to, to the land involves more than just a resettlement program. The cornerstone of these two chapters is not just bringing uh, back the people into the land but pouring out the Spirit of God uh, on God's people. So first of all, God is told to prophesy to the bones uh, and when he does that, the bones start to come together. Uh, the, the tendons start to attach uh, and, uh, and these bones are kind of uh, uh, still these lifeless bodies and so God tells Ezekiel to, to prophesy again and to prophesy to the breath. Now it helps to know, uh, it helps to know that the Hebrew word which means spirit can also mean wind uh, or breath or spirit so it can mean any of those three things. And so when God says to Ezekiel prophesy to the breath I guess kind of the subtext of that is that Ezekiel is being told to prophesy to the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God which is to enter these people and to give them life. Ezekiel is told to prophesy to the Spirit to breathe life into these dead bodies. The connection uh, between that, between this miracle and the Spirit becomes clear in, at the end of the chapter, verse 14, I'll put my Spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I, the Lord, have done it, declares the Lord. What does it mean that God will put his spirit in his people? Verse 36, uh, sorry, chapter 36, verse 24, I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to follow my laws. God is saying that 
he is going to resolve the problem of these people's disobedience. He's going to move them to follow him and to obey him and to love him. It's not enough just to resettle the people. You know, if you want, uh, if you want to be resettled, if you don't uh, have a house to live in, you might go to the, to the United Nations. Uh, if you're a refugee, and you might say, uh, I need to be resettled and they'll find you uh, a new place to live. Uh, You might go uh, to the government and say, I don't have a house to live in, I need to be resettled, and the government will find you a place to live in. And by God's grace, those small differences, those small changes can enable people uh, to live better lives. But those small changes can't make the big changes that we really need to happen in our lives. See, we need our whole lives to be transformed, not just the place where we are, not just the place where we live, not just the house or the country that we live in. We need not just our lives to be transformed, but we need the lives of everybody around us to be transformed as well. You might be resettled as a refugee in Australia and yet suffer the same kind of uh, victimisation and, and, uh, and racism that you suffered in all the other countries that you've lived in as well. And so God says... I'm not just going to resettle you but I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you and cause you to live. Perhaps uh, this journey through the book of Ezekiel has made you feel spiritually dead and perhaps you resonate with that sentiment of the people of Israel. Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we're cut off from God. Maybe the question that you're asking is the same question that God asked. Can these bones live? Is it possible? And God's answer to that question is yes. Yes, you can. Can you be alive to God? Yes. Can you be alive to Jesus Christ? Yes, you can. I love the resurrection power of God. I never get tired of hearing about the resurrection power of God Because every day I feel spiritually dead and maybe you feel the same as well. And every day I need to tell myself I've been raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. And every day I need to remind myself that I need to seek for God to work out that resurrection reality through the power of his spirit in my life. You see, we all need the resurrection power of God in Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. You might look at this church and at these people and you might look at other people and think their lives are so together, their their spiritual lives are so together and my life is just in a mess. And you might think, I feel so inadequate. But here's the thing, what life you see in them is God's life. It's the resurrection power of God. What power you see in them is God's power. First displayed in Jesus, now at work in those who believe in Jesus. Of course, you might look at the people in this church and think to yourself, what a bunch of hypocrites. What a bunch of dry bones. And in a sense, you'd be right. But that just reminds us how much we each need the resurrection power of Christ through the Spirit of God. Can these bones live, God asks? And the answer is, 
Yes, they can. So God's great gospel plan involves the spiritual resurrection, the pouring out of the Spirit uh, on those uh, people who trust him and who trust his son, Jesus Christ. But there's good reason to think that Ezekiel had more in mind than just that. Uh, There's good reason to think that Ezekiel was thinking not just of spiritual resurrection but of physical resurrection too. The image uh, of people in exile being like dead bodies, like dead bones, dry bones, is a vivid metaphor uh, and it's a great metaphor but let's not forget that actually some of the people who had trusted in God uh, during the siege of Jerusalem, some of those people had actually died. Do you remember uh, chapter 18, God said to the people, if you trust in me, you will live and if you don't, you'll die. And yet some of the people who had trusted in God, had died. But in chapter 36, God says to those people, I will bring you back. And the question is, from how far will God bring the people back? Just from Babylon? Just from the nations? Or even from death? Chapter 37 says... God will bring the people back, not just from the nations, but from death as well. That same question comes, all, uh, comes up all the way through the Old Testament. Would Joseph, and remember Joseph, uh, you know, gone down to Egypt, second in, in charge over Egypt, would Joseph come back to the Promised Land, not just in death? His bones were buried there. Would Joseph come back to the Promised Land, not just in death, but in life as well? Would Moses? ever see the promised land? Would he ever set foot in the promised land? The book of Deuteronomy ends with Moses not being able to set foot in the promised land. Would Abraham ever set foot in the promised land? Would it ever be his personal possession? God had promised it to him, not just to his children, but to him. It will be yours. How will that be? Ezekiel says, because God will raise those people from the dead. Verse 12, therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Will you possess the promised land? Will you share in God's new creation which is bringing about in Jesus Christ? If you trust in Jesus, yes, you will share in that because God will raise you from the dead in Jesus Christ. Indeed, as Paul says, you have already been raised with Christ and your life is now hid with him. No matter what your life looks like now, If you trust in Jesus, you have been spiritually raised with Christ and you will be physically raised with Christ. You might say, but I don't feel very raised from the dead. I don't look very raised from the dead. In fact, I look the very opposite. I feel the very opposite of that. I'm sick. My body is ageing. I'm struck down with cancer. 
I'm struggling to pay the bills. I'm struggling to make ends meet. My mind is going. My friends have deserted me. My family's deserted me. We all share in the suffering of our sinful world. We all share in the curse of sin. And yet, whatever it looks like, whatever the reality that we're faced with is, God calls us to look at the world through the glasses of his promises. And God says, I will open up your graves and I will settle you in my land with me and you will be my people. Please understand this, no matter what your life looks like now, no matter what your circumstances are at the present time, if you trust in Jesus, if you believe God, if you take God at his word, God will raise you up from the grave and give you life and an inheritance with all God's people. So God's great gospel plan involves not only restoration, not only resettlement, but spiritual resurrection and spiritual life and not just spiritual resurrection and spiritual life but physical resurrection and physical life in God's new creation. But why is God so committed to that? Why, why all the effort? You know, I'm mean, at the risk of sounding a bit, a bit blasé. Why, but why is God so committed? Why didn't God just say, you know what, enough's enough. I'm just going to get a new people from over here, you know. Uh, maybe the Amorites, I'll give the Amorites uh, a go. Why uh, is God so committed to this redemption plan? If it was us, I think we'd just give up. But God says he's not going to do that. He says he won't do that and he gives a reason. And the reason is actually kind of surprising. I don't think it's the reason that we would give or certainly not the reason that we would expect God to give. Several times in chapter 36, God tells us the reason and he says, so in chapter 36, 32, God says, I want you to know I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, O house of Israel. So the reason that God's not doing it is because he's not doing it for their sake. But then in verse 16 of chapter 36, Ezekiel writes, Again the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanness in my sight. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name, for it was said of them, these are the Lord's people. And yet they had to leave his land. I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Why is God doing this great uh, redemption miracle? God's doing it because their sin had dishonoured uh, him and their judgment, their being judged and being exiled and being conquered and being sent out of God's land had dishonoured him. 
God looked powerless. And so God says that the reason that he's going to restore them and redeem them and rescue them is for his own sake. So that people would know that God is God. It's a bit like when you try and make something. If you ever have one of those experiences, you try and make something and it just doesn't work. I had a great plan yesterday. I I got home and I thought, I'm going to make handmade pasta. I thought, you know, it's pretty easy. Bit of egg, bit of flour, that's about it, right? Well, indeed. (laughs) Fair dinkum. It was, I just couldn't, I could not get the consistency. It was just a nightmare. Anyway, and, and I was thinking, I will not be beaten by this. I will not be beaten by this, this batch of pasta. And after about half an hour, I just went, oh, you know what, I'm just going to reheat some soup. <laughs> and it's still in the bottom of my bin. You see, and it's embarrassing, isn't it? It's embarrassing because we're defeated by, by our creative intentions, by, by the world. The world defeats, if you like, our creative intentions. The problem for us as humans is that we inevitably lack the power and the ability to carry out all that, w- that we wish we could. Whether it's in cooking or whatever else it might be. And that's the same when it comes to sin as well, isn't it? We inevitably lack the power of our intentions. And so we say, I will not be defeated by this sin. I will not fall into this sin. And what happens? We do. We lack the power of our creative intentions. But but it's not like that with God. God has the power to deliver on what he says he will do. But you see, all the nations were looking at Israel and they were beginning to say, maybe God is powerless. Maybe he can't do it. Maybe they are too far gone for God to redeem them and rescue them and give them life. But God says, I can do it and I will do it for my own name's sake. You might think to yourself, I'm too far gone. I'm too far down the road of sin for God to redeem me. There's too much history. There's too much muck in my life. You know, there's too many threads to untie. But God says, I can do it. I can open up the graves and bring you to life. And if you don't believe him, he raised Jesus from the dead and he can raise you too. You might look at somebody else. You might look at somebody else that you've been praying for for 30 years and think to yourself, well, God can't raise that person from the dead. God can't give that person life. They're too far gone. I've been praying for them for too long and nothing's happened. There's, There's too much history in their life. There's too much muck. There's too many threads to untie. But God says, I can do that. I can give them life. I can redeem them. I can rescue them. He raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus' death is so powerful 
that through Jesus' death he can raise other people as well, even the most unlikely people, even the most dead spiritually people that you can imagine. God can do it. And here's the grounds for appeal. God's own namesake. Why does God do it? For his reputation. I don't think there's any greater message in the Bible than that. That might seem a bit strange to you that that's a great message. You know, we think that a great message is God is doing this, he's saving you for your sake. But actually that's a terrible message. That's a bad message. That's a message with so little hope and so little encouragement. But that God does it for his own name's sake is actually a message of great encouragement. Why is that a great message? It's a great message because why should God save you? Should God save you because you deserve it? Should God save you because you've asked nicely? Should God save you because you've asked 10 times or 20 times or 30 times? Why should God save you? There is no good reason except one for his own glory and his own namesake. You might remember uh, a few weeks ago uh, I said that for two years of my life I, I was, uh, in, lived in terrible fear that I'd sinned and couldn't find my way back to God. And the problem for me was, uh, and maybe the same for you as well, was not so much that I didn't believe that God was able to do it, but was, it was that I wasn't convinced that God was willing to do it. And I'll never forget reading words like this. It, it may even have been in Ezekiel chapter 36, so I can't remember anymore, but I'll never forget reading these words and realising for the first time the significance of what God was saying and praying for the first time, God, please save me for your glory. Don't let it be said. He wanted to be redeemed. He wanted to be rescued. He wanted to be saved. God, don't let it be said that he wanted to be saved and that God couldn't do it. Display your power and your might in my life for your glory. And I remember thinking that for the first time I had a, I had a leg to stand on. See, because after a while you look at your life so intensely and so closely and you realise there's no good reason for God to answer my prayer, is there? There's no good reason coming from within myself. But what if there was a reason outside of me, a sure reason that no one could ever take away? What if God would do it for his glory and not mine? Surely then God would answer and hear and deliver. A reason rooted in the very character of God. And it's a profound reason, isn't it? Because it grasps something so true and that is that we so often seek our own glory and yet in salvation God does it not for our glory but for his own Can these dry bones live? Can you live 
Can the friend that you've been praying for, the, the child that you've been praying for, the parent that you've been praying for, can they live? Can God do it? Yes. God says, I will open up your graves and I will bring you back. He's demonstrated it in Jesus. Why would he do it? He's done it for his name's sake. Then you will know, says God, that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are your people and yet, Lord, our sin and our hypocrisy dishonours your name in our world. Father, people look in at us and they see our failures, they see our lovelessness, our hardness of heart. They see the things that we say and how what we do differs from that. Father, they see us and think that you are powerless and that you are weak. Deliver us, O God, and save us for your name's sake so that people would see your might and your glory and honour you. Deliver us, O God, so that people would see your power in raising Jesus from the dead at work in our lives. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen.